Hello, and welcome to another episode of Family Law and Lattes. I'm Melanie Batyar-Samuel, a family law solicitor at MBS Family Law, and today I'm joined by Zoe Fleetwood of Mills and Reeves. Zoe is a highly experienced children lawyer, and she heads Mills and Reeves' children law team. Well known for handling complex cases, Zoe's experience includes child abduction, wardship, care proceedings, surrogacy, adoption, and forced marriage, as well as disputes involving allegations of abuse. Zoe's cases often have an international dimension. I've asked Zoe to come onto the podcast and discuss a topic that has been raised more and more often in family law, parental alienation. Hello, Zoe. Welcome to Family Law and Lattes. Hi, Melanie. Good to be here. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and thank you for coming to talk about a topic that I often hear uh, being mentioned, but um, I find um, something that's quite difficult to get your head around, which is parental alienation. Um, it's something that more and more I've been hearing over the past few years. In fact, I saw that in the uh, Dictionary of Children Law, it's also got quite a large section in there about what it is, but it's something that I think most lawyers, junior lawyers in particular, aren't quite sure they understand. So thanks for coming to talk about that. Um, I'm going to start by doing what I always do in the podcast, which is getting you to introduce yourself so that our listeners know who you are and where you're from and what your background is. So let's start with first question, which is, Zoe, who are you? Well, Melanie, I am Zoe Fleetwood, a partner and solicitor at Mills and Reeve, a national law firm. I'm based in the London office. Um, I've been practicing exclusively children law for about 11 years now. I've been Mm -hmm. a solicitor for 20 years, Um, but I've, I've just been doing exclusively children law. For the last 10 years, I do child abduction, relocation work, Uh, high-conflict cases, which includes, of course, parental alienation cases, child protection cases. I'm a Law Society Children Panel Solicitor and a resolution-accredited specialist in children law, adoption and child abduction. So it's fair to say I'm very passionate about children law issues. I was about to say, I I, I see that this is really something you're interested in. What what made you branch away from doing more general family law specifically into children work? I don't know. I mean, I I, I trained in a a high street practice where I did the broad spread of, you know, all family law issues, including Mm -hmm. divorce, separation, finances. Um, But I more and more, I built up a children practice, uh, joining the Law Society Children Panel, doing child representation work. And it's just, it is a fascinating area. It's a challenging area. It's a serious area. And it's one that I find... um, rewarding but also you know consuming yeah um and like you melanie sitting on uh, the national committee of resolution we really get involved in issues that affect families and you know i sit on the family law reform committee um and i'm just passionate about making sure there's access to justice that the voice of the child is heard um, and that there are adequate resources, which in, in, in these tough times, such as children's resources to mental health support. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just it's just an area that I'm blessed to be able to work in that I find find fascinating. It is, it is a really interesting area, but I find it's one of the more difficult things that I deal with. N- yes. Not as difficult as I know I don't understand the law, but difficult as in I find it emotionally difficult to, yeah. to kind of... Uh, 
address it because you're not you're not it's not just divorce it's not it's not cohabiting it, it's it's everything and it's also more than just this is the laws how you apply it it's how to make it work for the kids for the parents how to take everybody into consideration i, I always find it a very tricky area to deal with and sometimes you have to um be quite strong with your clients and you know yeah. particularly if you're dealing with difficult parents which is what we're going to be talking about now but yeah um Something I want you to come back on the podcast and talk about later on is the voice of the child. I know you and I have talked about this in the past, but as, as someone who does a lot of international work, I find it interesting how different countries look at the voice of the child. And I think that we have a very unique take on it, a yeah. very different take on it than this country. So Absolutely. something for a team for next time, I find yes. that's an interesting topic. Okay, so we're going to be talking about... Uh, parental alienation um it's in the press a lot i've seen a lot of articles written about it i have more and more clients come to me and say oh my my ex is uh, alienating my children from me or or something along those lines could you explain to me what exactly parental alienation is okay so i have a handy kafkas definition but yeah. before i read that out um, I, I do just want to capture that the existence uh, um, and definition of parental alienation has been subject to much debate over the years. Mm. Um, and like you say, um, I, I went on the Guardian News actually to, to pick up um, an article that came out a few weeks ago um, where the judgment hasn't come out yet, which was dealing with a, a case before the Court of Appeal about the role of an expert in parental alienation, just to refresh my understanding of, of where that had developed. And what I found when I went onto the Guardian website was um, a headline of today that says the UN is to investigate the use of parental alienation tactic in custody cases. Um, oh. So this is actually the UN Special Rapporteur on Violence Against Women and Girls is to investigate how family courts around the world approach parental alienation and how this may lead to the double victimization of those who have suffered domestic abuse. Now, so that is how hot this topic is and yeah. how controversial it is when, it, when it's claimed. But that headline aside, we in the English courts do have a recognized de definition of it, and that is this. Uh, parental alienation is broadly summarised as a child's resistance or hostility towards one parent, which is unjustified and is the result of psychological manipulation by the other parent. Wow. Okay. So, so it's recognised. It's, it, it's you know, Kafka's recognise it. Um, but as with everything, there is is context, and there is a spectrum and range of behaviours. Um, and how we identify parental alienation is... Oh, so my next question is, how, how do you go yeah. about identifying that? Are there uh, ideas? Is it like Section 25 where they give us a kind of list of things we should be looking at? Or is it having to go through various case laws? Or is it just an interpretation of the facts by the judge? So, yes, there would need to be um, a fact finding. And they also frequently the court will rely upon a child and adolescent psychiatrist the current controversy, which I may swerve away from, is mm -hmm. about, you know, relying on social work evidence of parental alienation or relying mm -hmm. on psychologist evidence. Um, a, a child and psychiatrist, child and adolescent psychiatrist evidence um, is recognised as uh, reliable evidence of parental alienation in a particular context. Um, but but what so, so let's have a look at how we identify it now. Yeah. 
Melanie, you and I are passionate about out-of-court resolution. very much so. In the majority of family breakdown uh, cases, the principle of contact is agreed. Mm. You know, the quantum can be difficult for parents to agree upon, but the principle of contact is agreed. But in cases where there are allegations of domestic abuse and allegations of parental alienation, those cases provide a challenge to the family court in assessing whether a child's rejection or resistance to spending time with the other parent um, is legitimate or not. Mm. Um, So in circumstances where the court finds there isn't a clear or legitimate reason, um, and that will frequently involve some social work assessment of contact, but will include a child and psychiatrist assessment you know, if there is no legitimate reason, then that it's in those circumstances the court may find parental alienation. Um, now, when we look at resistance to contact, and it, you know, if we look at, so it is recognised by the courts that a parent can deliberately or inadvertently turn the mind of their child against the other parent so that they hold a wholly negative view. Now, a parent may have a legitimate fear that their child might be abducted mm-hmm. or their child may come to harm because they've experienced some yeah. abusive behaviour. So that parent who has that legitimate fear of the other parent may will inadvertently turn their child's mind against that other parent. And so that's difficult, a difficult scenario for the court to, to uh, grapple with. But where the court finds there's le- no legitimate reason as to why that child isn't spending uh, time with both parents, um, where there's, you know, been no findings of domestic abuse, um, then the court may well find parental alienation. Um, So I I was quite surprised by that when I was researching for this podcast, that I always, in my mind, and this is... possibly well it was it was it was incorrect my mind was um parental alienation is really in cases where you have somebody who's purposefully trying to alienate the child perhaps out of spite or perhaps to control the other parent Um, which is something that happens quite quite frequently i I come across somebody who's behaving in that way what i hadn't realized is it can be inadvertent it can be somebody trying to protect themselves and their child because of the behavior they they've experienced um and I, I thought it was quite difficult because that might be, you might look at it and say, well, if this client is saying they've been a victim of domestic abuse or they've had um, a very difficult uh, situation with their ex-partner and they're similar to protect their child, how do you say to them, oh, wait, hold on a moment, you're, you're actually engaging in parental alienation? Yeah. And, and then how, do, you know, how, does, how do you explain to somebody that this is a difficult, you know, you're going to have to explain this to the court, you might have to go through fact-finding hearings. <sighs> Anyways. So, so what so, might yeah. happen in that scenario if there has been domestic abuse and again, there's a range of behaviours. And also there's a, a range of individual responses. I think we mm. need to recognise that, you know, everyone is different. Yes. But, you know, if there has been domestic abuse, so there has been a judgment, there has been a factual matrix that established, the court, you know, say the, the, the person who's found to have perpetrated the abuse accepts that judgment, then goes on to, you know, do an intervention programme um, and the risks are assessed mm. um, and the court finds, well, OK, th- this child should be having contact uh, with the other parent and can safely do so in this scenario, whether it's indirect contact, whether it's supervised contact, whether it's contact with uh, family members around, then, you know, the principle of contact will be 
established. And, and, and let's remember that, you know, Children Act 1989, Children, uh, Children and Families Act 2014, there is a presumption of contact. There is a presumption that children should have a relationship with both parents, that it's beneficial to them to have a relationship with both parents, sure. unless, you know, the court doesn't think it's safe and beneficial uh, for them to do so. So, you know, what, once there has been an assessment of domestic abuse and, and stages have gone, have, have been passed through, then the court will look at um, establishing contact. I think that's what's so interesting about this case that's come through. Um, it's called F&M and Others uh, 2022. It went to the Court of Appeal and that judgment isn't out and it's involved that the expert has been named as Melanie Gill. Um, that that is an interesting case because there was a finding of coercive control. Mm-hmm. Then, um, but uh, then contact was directed, and then contact wasn't complied with, and then now there's an allegation of alienation. So it's a really interesting factual case, but not 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 all the cases are like that. I looked at, um, I. I uh, gave a talk uh, in September this year. And prior to that talk, I read two uh, then recent judgments about, about parental alienation, both called re A and B. So there was... I love re- how we name our cases in this I country. Know. It's like, it's nothing but A, B and C, basically. And they were both <laughs> January 2022. Love it. So there was... And what's interesting about these cases, and the, the, they're very... I mean, they're difficult judge, judgments to read. Mm-hmm. They're quite upsetting, but it's very clear how the court could find parental alienation in this case. Um, And in fact, Melanie Gill was a psychologist in one of these these cases. So there was re A and B parental alienation by non-resident parent, which was um, 14th of January 2022. It was Her Honour Judge McKinnell. Um, And that... um, went to um, public law proceedings and that was parental alienation by the father Mm -hmm. um, very clearly and abusively directing the children to reject their mother. Sure. Um, And then the other A and B was a private law case. So the other A and B also of January 2022, uh, child arrangements, parental alienation, and that was before record of Moyes. that's an interesting case to read, Melanie, because what happened is there was a breakdown of the marriage in August 2020. Mother sought to end the marriage. She sought to form a new relationship. The father alienated the party's 10-year-old daughter and 7-year-old son. This is a re- reported judgment, so that's why I'm able to give this level of detail. The father alienated the 10-year-old and 7-year-old against their mother simply by using language such as mummy broke the family, mummy left the family, mummy rejected you. Um, Mm -hmm. And there was no reason why they could not safely and beneficially have a relationship with their mum, but for dad using this alienating conduct and behaviour. So that was um, a very clear judgment as to how, you know, alienation was found. Um, But they are really tough, tricky cases. And, you know, a lot of damage is done from, you know, in this case, proceedings issuing 
proceedings commencing in September 2020 and then reaching a judgment in January 2022. That's a long time for children it's to be caught two years. up that. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Large chunk of their lives. Yeah. And what can you do if you as a solicitor find yourself faced with something like this in the sense of you know your client comes to you and says this is what I think is happening or vice versa your client is saying my ex is claiming this okay so the the difficulty with this Melanie is delay is your enemy speed is your friend okay and, okay you know, so counter to our approach as resolution lawyers rush into court okay into court, name it identify it and um, you know get your contact order, get interim contact established. And if it's clear it's being thwarted and frustrated, get in an expert um, in accordance with the guidance on, um, you know, follow carefully the president of the family division's memorandum, experts in the family court, which is October 2021. Get your expert in really quickly, name it, identify it. And then if contact is still being frustrated, um, there's enforcement application, enforcement options you know the court will use everything it can um therapeutic support um as a last resort you know the section 37 local authority intervention um joinder and separate representation of children and the court you know does frequently threaten transfer of residence in these cases um so it is it is, I'm afraid, get it into the court is the, um, if you think that's happening, because you can't, you know, if you, I mean, yes, so, of so course, try mediation if that's a I was, I was about to say, because of the view of we're trying to keep things out of the court, because the courts are so flooded with work, because there are so many more litigants in person that mm. are um, struggling to cope with uh, resolving matters and having to ask the judge for assistance are we going to have um, a backlash or our knuckles racked by the court if, if we turn up and say, we haven't gone to mediation, we've just done this because it's it's urgent? Or do we still have to encourage our clients to try to go to mediation, but perhaps be a bit more, um, um, how can I say, um, l- less less patient with mediation so if you know if we've got if, if the other person is purposefully delaying the mediation or yeah. if, if they've you know if the client's attended or you've attended the whatever however however it's worked but there's been attendance on the mediation process and it's the first couple of sessions haven't worked you know yeah. are we able to pull the trigger and say no enough yeah. is enough yeah um and then how do you kind of present that to the court? Do you present it immediately the moment you put it in the application form? Do you say, we're making the application because we believe that this is being claimed? Or do you keep it in your back pocket until you're, you've had the contact purposefully frustrated? How, what strategically, what's the best thing to do? Yeah, I mean, you know, each, each case and each client will have their own uh, story, narrative and situation. But typically, you know, clients don't come to us, Melanie, when, you know, at the first whiff of a problem they'll have That's true you know they'll have had the the separation the, the family breakdown yeah. they'll have tried things and then they'll come to us at the point where you know i haven't seen my uh 10 year old for eight weeks now yeah um you know i've been trying i've been turning up um she's been not coming to the door she's been crying um the other parent tells me they don't want to see me and I, I just can't accept it, you know. So it's usually there has been a, a already a, a chronology of contact refusal um, that, that would, you know, that would 
necessitate a parent going to a lawyer saying I need to get it into court. And um, evidence wise, if a client comes to you and says, you know, this is what's going on, I haven't seen my child in or my children in X amount of weeks or months, mm-hmm. um, you know, my usual standpoint is, have you got a, a record of all the attempts at frustration or whatever, <clears throat> text messages, emails, whatever. But is there extra evidence that we could be asking our client to get a hold of or are there special guidance that we should be giving to them? Because often people will come and will see me and say parental alienation. And it's not parental alienation. It's mm-hmm. simply that they're unable to co-parent with the other parent. Um, and actually, once um, you get something more formal in place, it, it might be a, a bumpy ride, but it happens and they can co-parent. Um, well, I think... I think, I think, yeah, I think clients can gather their own evidence. You know, they will have their own chronology and dates of, you know, they'll say, well, okay, when the family was intact, you know, this is how it was. And, you know, I'd do X, Y, and Z with the children. I'd be around. And then, you know, the minute the relationship ended, there's a stark contrast and I was not able to spend time. And, you know, there are some recognised alienating behaviours, which include you know, denigration of the other parent, demeaning and maligning or dismissing the other parent, conveying false beliefs or stories about that other parent to the child, Mm -hmm. withholding positive information, you know, kind of blocking the whole school information, not giving updates, you know, not sharing birthdays or or celebrations or family occasions. Um, So parental alienation includes spurning, terrorising, isolating and exploiting a child. You know, it really is emotionally abusive conduct um, it, it, it parental alienation is not responding appropriately to a child's emotional needs you know it's recognized we, you know we, we see frequently psychological and psychiatric reports that children need to have a relationship with both parents they don't it's harmful to them harmful to their self-esteem harmful to their confidence and outcomes in life by you know having one parent constantly denigrated um, so, so characteristics in, include children who foster a false belief that the parent who has been subject to the alienating behaviours is dangerous and unworthy. And, and what can be seen in the psychiatric evidence or in the narrative that the child is saying that they have this false story, this false narrative about what, you know, the, the you know, so in that example of that A and B case, the children would say, well, mummy left the family, mummy broke the family, mummy doesn't love us, mummy left us. So she's mm. not worthy. She she abandoned them. And that belief about their mother was perpetuated by their father. Well, yeah. yes, she did separate from their father, but she wanted to have a relationship with them. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was a clear alienating behavior by the, the, the father that was um, impacted on the children. Um, we talked about what the court can do if there's uh, where the court how the court views uh, that sort of case when for example there is um, domestic abuse and you've been able to have fact-finding hearing but what happens if if there if it isn't linked to domestic abuse it's it's one parent who is trying to um, uh, punish the other parent or trying to distance that parent from the children because they're hurt by the separation or, or whatever other reason how does the court deal with it how does the court view that um, it, it, it's oh gosh, it's, I mean it is a real challenge because you know you you've got to take into account a child's wishes and feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there is no fact finding or no legitimate reason uh, for con- you know no 
safety reason that's preventing contact, then the court is engaged in establishing contact. Um, and the court, whilst taking seriously a child's opposition to contact, um, you know, will try and bring in interventions, therapeutic options, uh, indirect contact um, to, to try and establish something. And if it's difficult, though, because the alienating parent of an alien, alienated child holds a lot of power in yeah. this situation. Um, so these cases are, are very difficult. Um, yeah, I, I can believe that. Yeah. How, how do you how do, um, in those sort of cases, I'm assuming you're looking at having a lot of expert evidence and then expert support to to restart that relationship, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, tragically, Melanie, we see, you know, sometimes the parents of a 13 or 14 year old or a 15 year old will, will walk away because, yeah. you know, A, it's just so stressful for everyone going through the court process and B, they think it's they're just, you know, they're powerless to actually affect the change. Yeah. Um, so, um, but, but that parent, my advice to that parent or, or the parent who is struggling to, to, to have any contact is to, to, to keep going and to not, not I don't mean to keep going in the court at all odds. Um, I mean to keep persevering with the relationship with the child, yeah. you know, outside of court, it is to send the letters, send the cards, do the recordings, um, you know, if, if they have some connection with the wider family, the extended family, so that, you know, if in the future that child does um, get back in touch or it, so that they've got that, they've got the evidence there that counters the narrative that, oh, your other parent doesn't care about you, not interested yeah. in you, forget about you. They've forgotten about you. They've left. They don't care. Whereas actually, you no, know, this other parent is, sending cards and letters and presents and remembering you and, you know, following up with your school about your progress and is very much interested, engaged, you know, if, if, if that young person's able to, 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 to respond to that. Yeah. I mean, I think that is really important. It's countering a false narrative is, is, is key. I, I had a client who um, set up an email account uh, for the child and then just sent regular emails to that account and gave the details um, and, and said, you know, I, it's all there and the child can have access to any point in time. And that, that's the equivalent of the writing of the letters, if you will, it's the writing of the emails um, in the view that at some point in time, the child might want to 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 have that access and that will be a, a way for them to communicate without the other parent being involved. I mean, it's, it's difficult. Um, what help is available um, in this sort of scenario? Um, well, I mean, the, 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 the options for the court are extreme options, actually. Um, you know, it's involving expert evidence. It's, you know, frequently a children's guardian, you know, if there's been a significant judgment, the children's guardian will meet with that young person to tell them what the courts decided um, and will enlist, um, you know, local authorities and mm -hmm. social workers if, if needed. Um, but what help is available to, to parents dealing with parental alienation? I mean, I think there's a lot of information online. You know, the courts 
uh, do have uh, options to intervene, but it is really tough. <laughs> I'm yeah. sad, I, I hate to be so negative or sound so bleak or, or pessimistic. Um, but, you know, in terms of the, the help, you know, it, it's court action, um, but also just reading the information available and, and persisting and, and keeping themselves well when they're going through this nightmare. And um, I, I, I think something that's quite important is, you know, keep going. Don't. Yeah. Don't walk away, like you said. Um, well, not necessarily. I mean, it, it, I'm not necessarily. I wouldn't be critical of a parent who walked away from a family court, no. actually, because it can be. You know, if your only option is a change of residence, and that's considered so extreme for a, you know, a 14 year old or 15 year old, then you know that's really tough. Um, we're wrapping up because we've only got a few minutes left of your precious time, um, mm. and I don't, I don't want to keep you on. Um, I know how busy you are in the build-up to Christmas. I think we're all very busy in the build-up to Christmas. Um, can you give us some top top tips to ta- or t- top takeaways? I normally ask for 10, but give me as many as you can. What are the top tips and takeaways for our solicitor, barrister, young lawyer listeners? What should they be thinking about if they're faced with someone that comes in uh, saying the other person is uh, uh, parentally alienating their child mm. or vice versa? Somebody's saying I'm, you know... Um, that's what what I'm trying to do. I I think, you know, identifying um, the case and the evidence and, you know, naming it early on um, and, you know, saying that this isn't, you know, that that there should be contact. um, Remember to keep child focused, you know, keep it about what the child and not, you know, all vitriol towards the other parent and how, bitter and awful they are keep it well this you know the child should be you know doing these nice things that we used to do you know we can go to the sports uh, activity together as we used to do um spend the time with the family as we used to do so get in early with an application um ask for a reasonable amount of contact if there has been a um you know, an allegation of bad behaviour upon the separation, own it. You know, if it's not significantly a barrier to contact, you know, if there has been a a difficult breakup and some, you know, uh, abusive behaviour, you know, albeit verbally abusive behaviour between adults upon a separation in front of a child, accept it, own it, apologise. Um and then move forward in a child-focused way on what the contact should be. Mm-hmm. And then as and when necessary, if contact is being frustrated, get in the correct expert early, um, persist with the indirect contact. If, you know, contact sadly is completely uh, broken down, um, you know, send those cards, voice recordings, emails as, as necessary. Um, and then try and get judicial continuity. It, it's not, it's not easy, um, but they really should be. They should be advocated to a particular judge so that they can, you know, understand the, the breaches um, of the orders. Um, I think those are the, those are my tips in these difficult cases. Thank you for that. Um, thank you for talking me through this. Like I said at the beginning, it's something that I hear about a lot, and um, always a little bit wary of grappling with it but thank you for that very helpful and my last question which is a question that i ask everybody on the podcast um it is what is your favorite coffee drink i love a decaf latte 
Ooh, a decaf latte. Do you know what? I never think of having decaf drinks. I'm always like, yeah, full, full caffeine as much as possible, but decaf, mm-hmm. okay, it's good. Decaf latte. Thank you so much, Zoe. I will have you back on to talk about uh, the voice of the child. Um, but thank you so much for this, and uh, I'll speak to you soon. You're very welcome, and good to see you. <laughs> Thanks, Zoe. All right. Bye. For more information on anything you've heard on the podcast or to appear on the show as a guest, please email me at familylawandlattes at gmail.com. There will be a new episode shortly. Until next time.